We're going to talk today about uh, a healing that, that, that Jesus did. He healed this guy. And we're going to also talk about, like, I, like what, what was he doing when he did that? What was he communicating? And, and kind of getting at this idea as well, like, well, why didn't he heal more people? And why doesn't he heal more people today? And what, what, what does all of this have to do with us? So that's where we're going today. Um, we are back in our series on the Gospel of John. So if you've tracked along with us at any point this year, there's a good chance you've heard us talk about the Gospel of John. We have been uh, kind of going through this particular Gospel. We've got four accounts of the life of Jesus, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, written by different people who were either eyewitnesses of the life of Jesus or knew the eyewitnesses. And we're going to hope that stops at some point. If not, I'm just going to talk really, really loud. Um, and they're all written from a different, slightly different perspective, right? They, they, they have uh, different nuance. They're written by different people to different audiences with different purposes. But we've been going through John, and um, we've also been kind of breaking it up, doing some other stuff during the year. So we do a little in John, we stop for a minute, and we come back to John. This is the 14th week of this series, if you're keeping track. And we are now starting John chapter 5. So, you know, that gives you an idea of exactly how fast we're going through this. Um, but like I said, we're, we're back in this Gospel of John series. We're, we're starting with uh, chapter 5 today in... This is kind of like a division in uh, like John's gospel. There's kind of different ways of breaking down the sections of John. And one of the divisions that scholars make is between John 1 through 4, that's like one section, and John 5 through 11 is another section. John 1 through 4, like John is very, very focused on putting forth like the identity of Jesus. And these, there are these kind of testimonies about who Jesus is. And you know, that continues throughout John's gospel. But starting in chapter 5 through 11, there's kind of a new theme that starts to arise. And that is opposition to Jesus. Right, like from, from chapter 5 on, we start to see this increasing opposition by the religious leaders um, against Jesus and the things he's claiming, the things he's saying, the things that he's, he's doing. And as we jump into chapter 5 today, that kind of gets the ball rolling. And, and the religious leaders are not so happy with something that he does. In their eyes, he's committing a crime by healing someone on the Sabbath. They had kind of turned religion into this legalistic structure. And they're like, no, you can't do that. You can't heal this guy. Who do you think you are? Um, and, and kind of from that moment forward, a series of events is going to unfold that we'll look at in the coming weeks and months where Jesus begins going down this path, again, opposition from the religious leaders that will ultimately bring him to a place where they're like, all right, we've had enough of you. The only solution is to get rid of you permanently. We've got to have this guy killed. So that's kind of the, the section that we're jumping into today. And we, we're starting with this account that maybe you've heard before, maybe you're familiar with, maybe you're not. It's okay. We're going to learn it together if you're not. Um, and on the surface, we're like, it seems kind of innocent, what's really going on? But there's a lot more going on behind the scenes. So John chapter 5 is where we're jumping in, starting right with verse 1. So if you've got a Bible, you can uh, open that up. you got a mobile device, find it on there. There's Bibles at the back if you want one of those. Or it's going to be up here on the screen as well. So John chapter 5, starting in verse 1. Let's go. Uh, after this, a Jewish festival took place, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. So John says after this, so this is after what happened in, in chapter 4. Um, he doesn't give us any kind of specific amount of time. Was it like right after or a while after? John doesn't care to give us that detail. It's not really important for, for what he's going to get at. But he does give us a, an interesting little detail here that, that Jesus is going to Jerusalem, and it's at the time of a Jewish festival. There, there's going to be several of these kind of Jewish festivals, or maybe you've got like Feast of the Jews, depending on a translation where we're going to find Jesus in Jerusalem, and there's this festival going on, and, and he's going to kind of stir up some controversy. The, for the Jewish people, these festivals or these, uh, these feasts, like they, were, they marked certain points in their calendar. They were a bunch of celebrations or events that 
that the, their, their lives and their calendar and just the rhythm of life revolved around these things. And for certain ones, if you live within a certain uh, area of Jerusalem, you had to go into the city to celebrate this festival. There were three major ones where Jewish men would have to go back to the city. You have the, the festival of the Feast of, of Passover. You have the festival of the Feast of Tents or tab- Tabernacles. You have the Feast of Pentecost. And so it's one of those settings that Jesus is going into this festival. They're in the city of Jerusalem. And, and what he's going to begin to do here and, and throughout this next section of John is, is really begin to, to say, hey, you guys, you know those festivals that you celebrate. You know those things that, like, they're a reminder, this physical, tangible reminder in your, the rhythm of your life of God's faithfulness to you. They were reminders of who, who the Jewish people were and who God was and what their relationship had been. It's like, those were actually all ultimately pointers to me. And they were pointing forward to what God is about to do. And so he begins to send shockwaves through the culture in that way. And the stage is set now. It's the festival time, so there's significance in the calendar. There's all these people in the city, like massive amounts of people. And Jesus shows up, and he's about, spoiler alert, he's about to heal a guy. He's about to do it on the Sabbath. As I said, that's going to get him into some trouble. So John gives us this next detail. He says, by the sheep gate in Jerusalem, there's a pool called Bethesda in Aramaic, which has five colonnades. And within these lay a, a large number of the disabled, blind, lame, and paralyzed. So John gives us this little, little detail, which I love. He, he gets really specific about what's happening and where it's happening. He says there, there's this place uh, by the sheep gate. Um, the sheep gate wasn't like a gate into the, into the city from the outside. It was actually an inner gate from the city into the temple courts. It was called the sheep gate because it was the gate through which they would carry and bring like the sacrifices that were going to be made um, at the temple. And so he says, by the sheep gate, so kind of outside of the temple area, there's a pool. And, and this pool has these five colonnades or maybe you've heard it like five porches or kind of like these five walls or dividing areas where people could gather in these different areas. And I love this little detail, this little tidbit that, that John gives us because uh, maybe, maybe you're someone, you're here or you're watching and you're a little bit skeptical of faith. Or maybe you're skeptical specifically of, of the Bible itself. You're like, I don't know if it can be trusted. Maybe that's why I don't believe these things. Or honestly, maybe you're even a Christian and you wrestle with that sometimes. Like, can I trust this thing? Is it, is it accurate? Is it reliable? Like, I love things like this. Uh, because for, for years, this verse, John 5, 2, was actually used as a reason not to have, like, trust in the reliability um, of Scripture. So kind of during the Enlightenment period and post-Enlightenment, so that's like 1600s to 1800s, about 100 years after that, skeptics would argue and they would lecture. Uh, they would go to places like Cambridge and Oxford and like these, these places of uh, higher learning in, in that time. Um, and they would lecture that the Bible can't be trusted. It's not historically reliable. And one of the verses they would point to is John 5, 2. Because they said, listen, John talks about a sheep gate. You know, know, the sheep gate, there's a pool there. And we've done work around the sheep gate. We know where that is. And no pool has ever been found. Therefore, John's just making stuff up. Therefore, you can't trust it, right? Like, it, it it doesn't matter. Well, lo and behold, they dug a little bit deeper. And in the late 1800s, they found exactly what John describes. They find this pool, and it's kind of an unusual pool that has these five colonnades or walls or porches. Uh, Many times in the ancient world, if you had a pool like that, it would just be your basic, like, square. It would be a rectangle. It would have have four sides, um, but this particular pool that they excavated and found there had the four sides, but then there was a wall right in the middle of it, dividing it between an upper and a lower pool. And they're like, that's exactly what John is talking about. And the sad thing is, is like, man, a lot of people at that time had walked away from faith and walked away from belief because it's like, well, this isn't true. It, it, it never happened. It, it didn't exist. When if they had just waited a little longer, it wasn't a matter of is it not true, but maybe I just don't have 
all the information. Uh, it's, it's fascinating that like scholars and archaeologists, Christian, Jewish, secular, are consistently just amazed um, at the, how historically legitimate the scriptures are. Like just like, there, of the hundreds and thousands of historical references that are made throughout scripture, I mean there's tons of names and dates and places and battles and kings and rulers and cities and like, and all of the archaeological work that's been done, none of them have ever proven false the claims of scripture. Now, let me, let me temper you a little bit if you're a Christian thinking, oh yeah, see, that's proven my point. They also don't prove that it's true, because sometimes we want to run far in the other direction and say, well, because, you know, this happens, now that leads to this. Uh, it doesn't prove that it's true, but it definitely doesn't prove that it's false. It just, it gives us this reassurance to know, like, historically, there's something going on here. And, and so I just want to pause for a minute and, and, and recognize that, because this is one of the things that I want us as a church to realize, that I want you to know, that I want you to experience. One of the things that I love the most about our faith, and I think we should appreciate, is it is historic in nature. That if you're a follower of Jesus, we're not just kind of hoping in some things. It's not just the feeling that I have. It's not just like, man, I really hope this is true, but I'm not really sure. No, like, but one of the things that, like, sets Christianity apart and makes it so unique is it is anchored to history. And so I don't just hope some things might work out. It's like, no, I have hope because something happened. And so regardless of what's happening in my present, regardless of what might happen in the future, whether it's good or whether it's bad, I'm like, wait, that doesn't change that God has done something in history. Something has happened, and we can have hope in that. So John gives us this detail, right? He says it's the sheep gate. There's these five colonnades, and there's all these people that gather there uh, that are disabled. They're blind. They're lame. They're paralyzed. They have some sort of disease, some sort of infirmity. The, the idea was, um, at this time, there was this, this thinking that there was healing properties in this pool, that, that sometimes the water would bubble, and the water would, would get uh, stirred up, and, and the rumor was kind of like, hey, if you're the first person into the water after it gets stirred up, then you'll be healed. And you may ask the question of like, well, did that actually happen? Was that true? I don't know. <laughs> John doesn't think to give us that detail. You know, it could have been that like maybe there was because they're thinking that maybe there was like an aqueduct that ran underneath of it and there's like had some healing properties. Or, or maybe there was something supernatural going on, like th that God was doing something and healing people. Listen, if you're a follower of Jesus, like our faith is based on the claim that Jesus came back from the dead. So that kind of puts everything on the table, right? In terms of like, well, I guess that could happen. Jesus did rise from the dead. So maybe there was. But again, that's not the point. That's not what John is trying to get at. But what he wants us to see and understand is, is whether there, there was a potential for these people to be healed or not, the scene is set where they think they can be healed. Where there are people who are hurting, who are broken, who are disabled, blind, lame, paralyzed, hopeless, and they are there just every day thinking, maybe I can be healed. Maybe I can be healed. Maybe there is something. And so he sets the stage for us. He kind of paints this picture of here's where it's at. Here's what's going on. Here's this huge crowd of people. And then he narrows his focus and says, okay, we're not going to focus on the huge crowd of people. There's one guy, one guy that the account is going to zoom in on that Jesus is going to have an interaction with. There was one man, one man who was there who had been disabled for 38 years. A guy who's dis disabled for 38 years, you may have a translation that says he was an invalid. As you kind of read the details of the story and, and how things were talked about at that time, what scholars tend to say is this guy, he's paralyzed. Like, he, he, he cannot move. He cannot take care of himself. And imagine that. This is, this, is a, this is 2,000 years ago. This is a world without modern medicine. 
There's not the, the ability for him to, to be in a wheelchair. There's not the ability, there's not handicapped accessible pools and things in the ancient world. There's not, there's not modern medicine and conveniences that would kind of ease his suffering or ease his burden. He is stuck. The only time things happen for him is if someone out of like the goodness of their heart decides, I will carry you to this place. I'll take you here. I'll help you get your meal or whatever. I'll help you even get to the bathroom. Think about that. And if there was no one to help him, he's stuck. For 38 years, this guy is, uh, I mean, he's, he's hopeless, he's broken, he can't paralyze, he can't, he's paralyzed, he can't walk, he can't take care of himself, sitting in his own filth, just tired, hopeless, broken, no hope of anything getting better. 38 years. That is crazy. There, there are many of you in this room who haven't even been on the planet for 38 years. Some of you have been. Some of you for a little bit longer, but hey, it's all good, right? It's okay. It's wisdom. Wisdom is what you have. 38 years. If you, if you, you want to work that backwards, by the way, that would be the year from now. 1984. You guys done anything since 1984? Like walked, like moved, like gone somewhere? 1984. Okay, like Stranger Things is popping off right now, okay? Like that's mid-Stranger Things. Like that's the area of history from, that we're talking about from then until now is how long this guy has been paralyzed. It's how long he's been broken. It's how long he's been hopeless. And he is just one of hundreds of people that are sitting there looking for something. And Jesus shows up. And Jesus sees this guy. Verse 6 tells us that when Jesus saw him lying there, sometimes we brush past stuff like that. Like if, if, you're, if you're like a follower of Jesus and you're reading your Bible and, and like we, we're just like, okay, yeah, Jesus saw him, him lying there. Don't lose the sight of the significance that Jesus saw this man. How many people walk by this guy every single day and nobody saw him? Nobody cared. Nobody moved in his direction. But here's Jesus, and he sees, I mean, I, I just, I picture him, like, seeing him making eye contact and moving in his direction because that's what Jesus does to hurting and broken people. He sees them. He sees us in our pain. And he doesn't go, I see you over there. He's like, I see you, and he moves in our direction. He sees him lying there, and he realizes that he'd already been there for a long time. And then Jesus asks this question, do you want to get well? Now, I'm not, I'm not like, gonna, I'm not criticizing Jesus, okay? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to explain what we're saying here. But, like, my first, like, response is, like, that's a really dumb question, <laughs> right? Because it's like, well, duh, this guy wants to get well. Jesus is about to get at something deeper. But it's like, well, of course I want to get well. I mean, can you imagine if you're in that situation and some guy you've never seen before in your life walks up and is like, hey, you want to get well? And you're like, look around, dude. Like, all of us, we're all broken. We're like, you, like, you know what this pool is. You know who these people are. Of course, like, I'm not just here because I think it's going to be fun. Yes, I want to get well. And this seems to be the only shot I have at it. Of course I want to get well. And Jesus isn't dumb. Like, he, he knows that that's why that guy is there. He knows that, yeah, he wants to be healed. He knows all the people that are sitting around that pool want to be healed. But he's getting at something deeper. Jesus wants to go to kind of a different level in this conversation. What, what, what he's really getting at, what he's really saying is, okay, I know you're here and I know you want to be healed, but have you thought about the implications of that? If you get healed, if I heal you, do you know what that means for your life? If I do something in your life and, and, I, and I heal you, are you going to move in a new direction? Are you going to do something with it? There's going to be some life change involved here. Because for the last 38 years, this has been your life. This has been your existence. Are you, are you content with just how things have always been for 38 years, just kind of just surviving? 
not really living the life that you should be living, not living the life that God has for you, just kind of eking out an existence. Are you, are you satisfied and are you content with that? Or if I heal you, if I give you a second chance, are you going to live like it? Are you going to do something with it? And, and what we kind of see in this question and what we see in what Jesus is going to say next and where this kind of intersects our lives is we see this collision between the sovereignty of God and human responsibility. Like on one hand, you have the, the sovereignty of God, which just means God can do whatever he wants, whenever he wants. Like he's God, right? Like God has, like no one is controlling him. He can show up, he can move, he can do whatever he wants to do. And then you have human responsibility, that we are these kind of free will agents where it's like we can make choices and have actions and choose paths in life. And, and these two things, they come colliding together. And in this, this account, there's this guy who's, there, there's nothing that he can do to heal himself. There's nothing that anyone else can do to heal him. Like, the only thing that will heal him is if God shows up and does something supernatural. If the sovereignty of God comes into his life and moves in his direction. But then also, based on what Jesus is asking and what he's going to say, there's also this element of, okay, but you as a human being who have choices to make, who have things to do, like, what direction are you going to move in? And there's this moment that comes in life for, for this guy, for, for us, for all of us, where, where Jesus comes at us with this question of like, do you want to get well? And if you do, if I do something in your life, if I bring this healing, if I move, if I forgive you, if I change your life, what are you going to do with it? We've got choices to make and, and God loves us too much to come along and say, nope, I'm, always, I'm, gonna, I'm just going to overthrow your choice. I'm going to overthrow your choice. I'm not going to let you live your life. This is where we need this idea that's not very popular in our culture, okay, of wisdom, of discernment, of going, you know what, like, uh, there's these things that I can do, and I have two paths in front of me or whatever, and, and which one am I going to choose in light of, if you're a follower of Jesus, in light of who he is and what he calls me to, how am I now going to live my life? It's the idea of discipleship, the term that, 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 that is used for Jesus, the way that the Christians refer to him throughout the New Testament most commonly is not, you know, like Jesus, you know, God or my Savior. Certainly those things are there, but most often it's he's Lord, which means he's the king. This, this idea of if, if I put my faith in Jesus, if I am his follower, what I'm, what I'm saying and what I'm doing with my life is saying I am no longer the final authority in any area of my life. He is. Like, like, not, like, he's the final authority of my life, and, like, not just with, like, the religious belief stuff, but he's the final authority of my life in everything. So if I'm a follower of Jesus, I no longer have final say about, you know, how I do my marriage if you're married, or how I exist in the world as a single person if you're single. I'm no longer the final authority on uh, the way that, that I, I treat my neighbors, the thoughts that I have, and how, what I do with my free time, and how I act at work, and I'm no longer the final authority on how I view sex, or what I do with my money, or like any of the things that intersect with human existence goes, wait a minute, it's about him now. Like I have choices and decisions to make, and if I can just kind of push on this for a minute, some of, some of you, and me as well, because there's times in my life where this is definitely me. Like some of us, it's like, well, I'm a Christian, but my life's not going well. And things are kind of a mess because of some of my decisions. Where it's like, I, I, I'm following God, but like, you know, I go to church and I'm a Christian and I believe some stuff, but, but life is hard and I don't understand and why is this happening and was it, when it relates to my faith, why is my, why is my faith not alive? Why does it feel so dead? Why is my marriage not good? Why do I have such anger issues all the time? Why, why can't I ever seem to be happy or content? Why do I struggle with so much fear? Because for so many of us, the reality is, well, I'm a Christian and I go to church. But that's where it stops. There's no like, okay, 
Jesus told me to, to, you know, do you want to get well? I said, yes, now what am I going to do with it? How am I going to live every single day? In each decision, in each moment, Jesus is like, hey, if I heal you, are you going to live like you have been healed? Are you going to do the same old thing? And are you going to live the same life that you lived before I healed you? Like there's been no difference made. Or are you going to do something different? Are you going to do something different? Are you going to play the blame game? That's kind of what the guy does uh, next. In response to this, the guy tells Jesus, sir, I have no one to put me into the pool when the water is stirred up. But while I'm, I'm coming, someone else goes down ahead of me. And so Jesus asks him this question, do you want to get well? And, and, and the guy's response is, well, it's kind of like, well, of course I want to, but I can't. I want my life to be different. I, I, I want to be healed. I, want, I don't want things to be the way that they were before, but it's not possible. I can't do it. There's no one to help me. I, I, someone goes down ahead of me. And I, I don't want to be too hard on this guy because, again, he's been sitting there for 38 years. And in his defense, he has no clue who he's talking to. We kind of see that later in the passage. He's like, I don't know who this guy is. Some random guy walks up to him. He's like, hey, do you want to get well? I was like, get out of here. And so in, in his defense, he doesn't know who he's talking to. And this is, I mean, even though it's, it's, it's a long shot, this is the only hope that he has is this pool. But there's this idea of, well, yeah, I want to get well, but it's never going to happen. And for us, that's the space that we live in so often. And for, for you, you may not, you know, you may not be a Christian or follower of Jesus, so this might not quite connect. But we we make excuses as well if you're if you're if you're not like a follower of Jesus. But even as a Christian, sometimes we're like, hey, yeah, like I, I know I like I read my Bible and I have my faith and I know these things that it says, but like that, that doesn't apply to me. There's not hope for me. There's not healing for me. There's not w- w- whatever it is. And here's the reason why. And we, so, so often we kind of run through our excuses and it's like, well, yeah, I want my life to be better and I want to live the life that God has for me. But man, you know, the world. The world's just, it's just craziness. I can't because of that. Or, well, you know, I, I, had, I had such a rough childhood. My parents were a mess. And so, like, I'm always going to be broken. I'm always going to be like this. Or, you know, like, yeah, I, I want to I live the life that God has for me and, and, and live in a way, carry myself in a way that's honoring to him. But, man, the economy's so bad, I can't do that. All the stupid politicians, I can't live the life I want. Don't you see what the world is like? And we kind of, we cycle through these things of like Jesus going, hey, do you want to get well? And we're like, well, yeah, I want to, but I don't see that that's ever a possibility. And, and, and listen, like Jesus is loving, Jesus is compassionate. I think he would meet us with, you know what, that's fair. You've got some stuff in your life. You've got some stuff in your past. You've got, you got tragedy, you've got trauma, you've got circumstances. You have all those things, and that's legit. But I don't want you doing that and living out of that moving forward. Because that stuff is in your past, and I want to give you a new future. I want to give you a different future, something better. One of the most beautiful promises, I think, like in Scripture in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says, if you're in Christ, if you're following him, if your faith is in him, the old person who you used to be pre-Jesus, that person is dead. You're a new creation. I think sometimes we're like, well, that person's not dead. He's just on vacation, right? Like maybe I'll find them again someday. And sometimes we do. Like we're like, let's, let's get that old me. Let's resurrect that person. He's like, no, that, that person is dead. You are a new creation. Start living out of the new person instead of who you used to be. And, and it's this idea of I've given you new life, now walk in it. And that's the decision that we make every single day. That decision starts with Jesus, his offer like on, on the table before we know Christ. If you're someone that doesn't know Jesus, it's like, hey, I want to change you. I want to forgive you. I want to heal you. I want to give you a hope. I want to give you a future. Like, but then that, that initial decision of saying, okay, I want that. Is that yes. But then it's every decision, big and small, every moment for the rest of our lives. To get up and say, okay, Jesus has made me well. So today, I'm going to live like a person who's been made well. 
Today, I'm going to live like someone who's been set free. Today, I'm going to live like someone who's been forgiven. I'm gonna, today, I'm going to live like someone who's filled with the Holy Spirit. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to live that out with my relationships, my marriage, at work, and my kids, like whatever, whatever and wherever it is. Like I am going to live like this is true because it is. And so that's the challenge, right? Because the reality of the life that we're living is, is we're all going to have junk all the time. Like, there, there's going to be times where it's like, you know, it, it's, it's a mental health struggle. It's, you know, my marriage isn't good or my, my kids are going off the rails or things are really rough at work and I don't know if I'm going to keep this job and where's the economy going or, or my faith feels really, really dead or I got a bad diagnosis and it's terminal. Like that is the reality of life for all of us. And in the midst of that, in the midst of us and everyone sitting around these pools broken and hurting and looking for Je something, Jesus comes up and says, do you want to get well? I will meet you in the middle of that mess and I'm offering you healing. You're going to meet me halfway. You're going to do something with it. I, I love that Jesus just, he doesn't address the guy's objection. And this is such a beautiful thing because, you know, sometimes we have objections and we have things that are going on. And Jesus is like, I get that, I get that, but I love you. And that's kind of what he does here. He just gets right past the objection and gets right to it. Get up. He told him. Pick up your mat and walk. And instantly the man got well. He picked up his mat and he started to walk. Now that day was the Sabbath. Like I said, the Sabbath is going to be the thing that gets him into trouble. Um, and we're going to kind of touch on that more next week. So we're just going to leave that nugget. But it, what, what, what Jesus tells this guy, he says, get up. Get up. The, the, the word that's actually translated as our little phrase, get up, is this little Greek word, agario. And it literally means to like arise. Wake up. It's like you're sleeping. Like wake up. Like get up. It's the word throughout the rest of the New Testament that the New Testament authors use to talk about Jesus and followers of Jesus to describe resurrection. Get up. Get up. It's time to live a resurrected life now. It's time to live like the old you died and the new you is here. Get up. It's time to live. Now, before we start to think that, like, so much of this is dependent on us, I, I do just want to kind of draw some attention to the fact that him getting well is not dependent upon him picking up his mat and walking, right? Jesus doesn't say, pick up your mat and walk, and then you'll be made well. It's not, it's, no, I'm going to make you well. Now you go and do things. There, there's kind of like two parts that are involved here, and they correlate in these verses. Jesus tells him to get up, then he says, pick up your mat and walk. And the guy got well, picks up his mat, and he walks. And so, that, like, they kind of correspond, right? He says, hey, pick up your mat. What's the guy do? He picks up his mat. Hey, walk. What's the guy do? He walks. But the first command, Jesus says, get up, and it doesn't correlate in the same way. It doesn't say, Jesus doesn't say, get up, and the man got up. That's not what it says. He says, get up, and the man got well. Like, the, the, the tense of the verb is, like, it's passive. It's not something he's doing. It's something that's being done to him. In fact, I don't necessarily like this translation that great for the, the, the wording right there. there. There are a lot of translations that say he was made well or he was healed. And so the first act, the first thing that happens is nothing that this guy is doing. Jesus is just like, I love you and I want to see you made well, so here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to do something for you and you can't do anything with it. But now that I have done this for you, now comes your part. Now you get up. Now you do something. Instantly, he was healed. He picked up his mat and he started to walk. You know, this is 
this idea of that kind of two parts, of like what Jesus does and then how we respond, it's, it's true about this account, right? It's true then this, this kind of healing that's going on. But this account of what's happening here, this is a lot bigger than Jesus just healing a guy. Absolutely, I, like, I believe that Jesus still heals people. We believe that. We pray for that. We hope in that. We trust that. But, but this is bigger than just one guy being healed. Jesus is communicating something much better, much greater. You ever stopped and wondered, why didn't Jesus heal more people? Right? Like, even in this situation, there's one guy. There's hundreds of people sitting around this pool. Why, why just one guy? Why not heal all of them? Let's bring it into our, our world because sometimes we wrestle with this and we struggle with this and we ask now, like, Jesus, why don't you heal more people? Why didn't you heal that, that person that I love? That care? Why didn't you heal me? What's going on in my life? Like, why, why is it so kind of selective and few and, and far between? Why don't you just heal everyone? And let me just say, like, what we're going to look at next, I mean, it's not, it's not going to make us feel better, right? There's no emotional, emotionally satisfying answer that goes, oh, I feel so much better about that. But we get a clue a few verses later that lets us know this is what Jesus is really after. After this, the man, he goes back, and, and the religious leaders see him, and they're like, why, why are you walking around carrying your mat? Don't you know it's the Sabbath? Which I'm just like, okay, you, this guy hasn't walked in 38 years, and your first question is, why are you carrying your mat around? I guess we're going to look at that next week. But then he's like, I don't know who this guy was, but Jesus catches back up with him later in the temple. This is how this kind of account ends. It says, after this, Jesus found this man in the temple and he said, see, you're well. You're good. You're walking around. I healed you. You're not paralyzed anymore. But do not sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Don't sin anymore so that something worse doesn't happen to you. Now, what Jesus is not saying is that somehow, like, his sin was what, like, made him paralyzed. Or that, like, that somehow there's a connection. If you live a good life, good things will happen. If you live a bad life, bad things will happen. Scripture disputes that idea, like, puts that, like, just kills that idea over and over and over again. And just the reality of the world we live in uh, says that's not true. That's not what Jesus is saying. Imagine being this guy, right? And, and, and Jesus comes up and says, hey, like, you're well. Don't sin anymore. Something worse than may happen to you. And you're like, wait a minute, like... I, I, I thought, like, you, come, you heal my disease, my brokenness, my, I was paralyzed, and I thought that was the biggest problem that I had. I thought that was my biggest struggle in life. I thought that was, like, what was preventing me from having the life that I really wanted and how God wanted me to live? I thought it was this thing that I was struggling with, and you healed me of that. But now, like, you know, half an hour later, however long it is, you come and say, I've actually got a bigger problem than the one you just healed me of? This issue of, of sin. And this is where this becomes such a reality for so many of us. Because for many of us, when it comes to like faith and the way that we view God or just the way that we view our world, we think that we are going to solve all of our problems with just temporal stuff. Like if I can just fix the stuff around me, if I can just fix the stuff in the world and play around the edges, everything will be better and my life will be better. If I can just, like we, we go around, we think and we pray and it's just like, okay, if I can just, it, it, what I really need to live a great life and to be happy and to be content and the biggest problem that I have and to live the life that God wants for me, if I could just have my marriage fixed or my bank account fixed or my job fixed or if I could just, if I could just be healed, if I could just have this thing taken care of, everything would be better. And Jesus is going, it's actually bigger than that. Because those, all those things, all that pain, all that hurt, all that brokenness, that's just a symptom of the disease that's really at the heart of this. Like, like I, if getting those things fixed and those things squared away, it's like taking DayQuil, okay, when you have a cold. 
You're like, I know this isn't making me better, and it's not even really working, but I do it anyway. It's like, it's just treating a symptom. And Jesus comes along and says, I don't want to treat the symptom. I want to cure the disease. I want to cure what's really what's really going on here, and that is this issue of sin underneath of things. The, the, the storyline kind of throughout Scripture is that ultimately what sin leads to is death. When sin enters the picture, death enters the picture. And that includes, like, physical death, right? Like, we die. Newsflash, we're all going to die someday. That includes physical death, but also just the death of every good thing in our life, everything that's like a gift from God. Sin enters into the picture, and relationships die. We hurt people that we love. Bridges are burned. Sin enters into the picture in our, our, our morals, our, those kind of things, like our character, that, that tends to die. Sin enters into the picture and uh, sometimes our mental, emotional, spiritual health, like it just dies. Like everywhere sin enters the picture, stuff dies. And ultimately, it leads, like I said, physical death and this idea of like an eternal death and this separation from God who, like the Christian belief is like, that God is the, the giver of every single good gift to every person on the planet, whether you're a Christian or not. Like, if you have something good in your life, it's a gift from God. It's like the, the sun rising and the rain falling so that we can have food to eat and have these things and we can experience love and laughter and friendships. Like, that's all from God, but eventually sin leads down a path where we're separated from God and all of the good gifts that he offers. This place of eternal death. Jesus like, that, that's, that's the big issue. All of the people that Jesus healed, they all died. This guy, he's dead. They all died again. Like, like, like Jesus, like, like that's, that, that's kind of the point. Yes, I healed you because Jesus is a healer and he's loved and he's got power to do that, but he's after something greater. The fundamental problem with every human being is like, I, I want to solve that. Jesus wants to solve our actual problem, our sin issue. Do I believe that Jesus still heals? Yes, absolutely. And do we pray for people to get healed? Yes, absolutely. And sometimes, does Jesus bring healing in this life? Yes, absolutely. And sometimes he doesn't. Sometimes the healing doesn't come until the next life. And we don't know why, and we don't understand that. But what's true 100% of the time, what he always does from now for eternity is defeat the power of sin and death in the grave. That Jesus, through his death on the cross, through his resurrection from the grave, has said, that is the one thing that you can bank on guaranteed, that sin, death, and the grave no longer have the final say. When he, on the cross, said, it is finished, that's what he meant. It's done. The thing that is ultimately killing us, we can be free from. And so he says, get up. Do you want to get well? If so, get up, take your mat, and walk. I have healing for you. I'm solving your sin issue. I have forgiveness for you. I'm, I'm going to fill you with my spirit. I'm going to give you resurrection life. Now get up and walk in it. Get up and live like it's true. And so for some of us, listen, if you're a Christian follower of Jesus, what this means for us is, listen, he said, do you want to get well? We said yes, and we got that first part, the get up, we got well. But for some of us, man, if we, we really got to dial in that, you know what, I'm going to pick up my mat and walk. I have resurrection life. I've been forgiven. I have the power of his spirit living within me. It's time for me to live like that every day. It's time for me to treat people that way. It's time for me to walk in that. It's time for me to love like that. It's time for me to be the new creation that Jesus has made me to be. And maybe for some of you who are here, or maybe you're, you're watching this online, you, you're like, hey, I'm, I'm not a Christian. I'm not putting my faith in Christ. And that's okay, honestly. Like, I'm really glad that you're here or watching. That tells me you're, like, curious and you're, you're willing to, to, to search these things out. 
let me say that offer is on the table for you anywhere, anytime. That there's something that we're all looking for. It's like we know instinctively that this, this world, this existence, my life, it is broken. And we're laying around paralyzed, blind, lame, hurting. And we try all of these things to try to fix that, to try to heal that. But the offer that Jesus gives is always on the table that 2,000 years ago God stepped onto the planet. And Jesus lived the life that we couldn't live. He died the death that we should have died. And you know why he did it? Simply because he loves us. He loves you. He wants to see you free. Free from sin, free from shame, free from fear, free from death. To give us hope. A hope knowing that no matter what happens in this life, whether it's good or it's bad, it's not the end of the story. That there is a hope beyond compare. And so that, that is kind of where we're going to land this thing. That's where I'm going to leave things. Put us with Jesus asking us that question. Do you want to get well? And if so, get up. Get up and walk in it. Take up your mat and walk. God, thank you so much that you love us. That you love us so much that you weren't willing to leave us in our state of brokenness and despair and hurt and pain. You didn't do something from a distance, but you sent your son, Jesus, up close and personal, wading into the mess of human existence. Thank you that you showed us what it means to live and to be human and to love God and to love neighbor. Thank you. Through your death and resurrection, we can